From time to time, I really enjoy speaking to other people in the mental health field around the world globally because we're in the same field, but we're in a different culture. And today's guest is from India, Aroshi Singh. And I am really delighted for her to be on here. She is a trauma-informed counseling psychologist from India. And so in a moment, we're going to be listening to her and we'll be learning a little bit more about her background as well. Coming right up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray, and I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the show, and I'm really glad that you are here today, whether you're watching or listening. And by the way, if you don't know, I have a a brand new podcast. Season three is already out on YouTube. So go to YouTube Music, and you can either watch or listen to this episode or anywhere podcasts are out and available. Welcome, my friends. Thank you for being here. You can also go to mentalhealthtodayshow.com and look at any of the show notes in all the different episodes on the show. All right. Well, let's get to it. My, As I said earlier, Aroshi is a trauma-informed counseling psychologist from India, and she has an interesting story we're going to learn about here, but let's get her on the show. Aroshi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Can't wait for the conversation. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I always like talking to professionals around the world. We're in the same field, mental health. It's it's not exclusive to one country. It is worldwide and yet from different cultures. So it's always interesting to learn uh, about the, the mental health field from various people across the world. So you're from India. Tell us a little bit about that. What's it like to be a psychologist in India? How did you become a psychologist? We're we're running to know. Um, okay, how did I become a psychologist? I it was never in my game plan to become a psychologist. I was in so in the Indian schooling system, you have a particular grade where you have to choose your subjects for the next grade. I was convinced that I was going to become a historian. I was wanted. I wanted to go into archaeology, dig the bones and all of that. Um, and then I had a wonderful teacher who taught us as if as this was the easiest. She she taught us psychology as if as it was a conversation, and I loved studying it. But because I had this 10-year, 20, 15-year dream of becoming an archaeologist, I was convinced that that's what I was going to do. Until my father sat me down and he's like, you don't choose something in your undergrad based on what you want to become. You choose it based on what you want to study. And careers are made out of what you like. So I ended up doing my undergrad in psychology and interned at a lot of various places. Decided I'd love working with people not sitting with files or doing social psych or research. I'm crap at math. So that was out <laughs> of the window. Um, and then I said, okay. And um, I was clear that I wanted to do my postcard from a university. My, I'm a nerdy kid. So I was very clear that I wanted to do it from a place that would qualify in the top 10 of the world. 
ended up doing that, loved the exposure to NHS, crystallized my belief that I wanted to work with people. So how I became a psychologist was very, very experiential. This is what I like studying. This is what I like doing. This is what I chose to do. And I'm nearly 10 years in, still love to do it. So I think it was a right decision. As far as um, how is it working in India? The mental health landscape is growing, but growth is with its challenges. So India and mental health is almost like early adolescence. We're throwing a lot of tantrums. We're not ready to accept. Uh, we know that this is the need of the hour. And I've worked with both rural and urban populations in the country. Ironically enough, the rural population is much more accepting of mental health and distress and understanding that there needs something needs to be done as opposed to the urban population who's like, hey, I'll go on a holiday or I'll um, you know, find different alternatives to deal with the stress. That's, I think, the biggest challenge working in India. It's home yeah. country, it's fulfilling, but it it's there's a lot of frustration when people fail to recognize the impact that mental health workers do have on somebody. Yeah, and, and like what you were mentioning that the mental health field or just mental health in general, there is a stigma. And I think yeah. that stigma is worldwide, but it sounds like it's even more so in India than perhaps in America. Would you say that was pretty pretty close to that? Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. And I I have to go back a little bit from what you mentioned that you said that you Mm -hmm. wanted to be, uh, originally you wanted to be an archaeologist. And and I'll have to say when I was younger, I wanted to be an archaeologist too. No way. The day after I watched Indiana Jones and and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I almost lost the title there. Indiana Jones and Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. That was uh, that's what the movie that wanted me to, to become an archaeologist. Yeah. But I am a therapist anyway, so we kind of went down a similar path, which is kind of funny. Well, uh, Aroshi, I've had tell multiple me... phases. I wanted to become a lawyer once I saw Boston <laughs> Legal. So, yeah. well, and here you are uh, helping people, which is really great. So, tell me a little bit about your work. You're a trauma informed counseling psychologist. Tell us a little bit about what that means and what is it uh, that you do specifically for the clients that come see you. So, I'm going to give you a bit of a backstory. I've helped therapists a lot in my life. And around 2012, I had um, one of my first experiences with a blown out episode of depression. But nobody was able to go beyond, hi, this is the mood dysregulation that's happening. Um, It could possibly be these triggers. This is what you should do. Until I finally found someone who said that it's coming from a space of trauma. And emotional trauma now I, I come from a very loving family very secured upbringing so you don't think that in these places there will be what we will call as trauma right and that is internalized stigma but i'm i met this therapist and he's like hey arshi this is coming from a place of trauma and i was like what rubbish i don't have trauma in my life 
so we started a conversation and then it it seemed like the single most helpful thing in my life to understand where my mood dysregulations would come up from and i was convinced that i wanted to study trauma be a trauma affirmative practitioner um and again you have different kinds of trauma you have the larger structural environmental trauma that anybody is able to see and then you have nuances of trauma so i obviously leaned towards the latter um did that and how that translates into practice is by a lot of pattern tracing so whether that's family roles whether that's internal family systems whether that is understanding um, you know behaviors over a longer period of time understanding thought patterns why some memories get crystallized why some don't did a bunch of work in neuroscience just to understand these are the neurons that fire these are the parts of the brain that get activated and what do you do with it so if i find the understanding that the brain is a muscle and muscles can be trained and exercised and rewired so empowering i just wanted to be able to do that well that's fantastic so you turned your past and your struggles into your profession and i think that that's excellent and i think that's really what a lot of professionals mental health professionals yeah. Uh, they become a therapist out of their own struggles and hurt and pain as they receive the help that they get for their pain. And then they go and learn about it and then be able to help others. And I think that's part of that human yeah. element that therapy brings, you know, is that one-on-one -on -one, human to human and that connection that it brings the pain and the hurt that when a client comes to see us, that's the connection. And to be able to have that person-to-person -person interaction and understanding of the struggles and their feelings and, and, and to validate how they're feeling, that's a very powerful thing. And I'm sure you have experienced that as well with your practice. Tell us, what are, what are some of the, the typical types of clients? What, what do they come in to see you for? So a lot of my clients come in for interpersonal concerns, for loneliness, which falls under the same bracket somewhere, self-awareness, self-acceptance, a lot of self-building. And it, it probably attracts that client base because I feel like if you have yourself more sorted, more centered, everything and everything in life becomes easy to deal with. Um, and then depression, trauma, grief that's those are my areas of expertise those are what people usually end up coming for yeah so those are people who are at the the lowest parts of their lives yeah i right? yeah. they're they're really at a dark place in their life and something yeah. either happened to them or happened to someone else that they that they are close to and they come to you with really their hurt and their pain or loneliness and you're there to hold their pain, but also to give them some assurance and guidance as a, as a therapist. And so let's say someone comes to you in, and they're depressed and they have major depression and for whatever reason, uh, what would be something, uh, because I, I have a lot of listeners of the show struggle with a mental health uh, issue or concern. And a lot of it is depression. And, 
And so we know that depression is a global, uh, global and, and worldwide. What would be some things that you could encourage somebody who's listening to this, who may be struggling with depression? Um, the fact that it's real, we fight it against in our heads. You know, and the entire strategy of depression is to say, hey, you're fighting something that doesn't exist. But it does. Just being aware, whether someone acknowledges it or doesn't acknowledge it, acknowledges it, just you being aware that this is real, this is true, is important. It's the first step. And then showing up. How do you win a fight? You show up and you win a fight. So showing up is in small ways of, hey, I'm going to brush my teeth today or I'm going to, you know, comb my hair. I am going to be able to get up from the bed. I'm going to make a to-do list, a to-do list. Even if I don't question on it, I just want to make a to-do list. Um, I want to sort of my dog's bathroom, right? The background. Oh, that's fine. Right? No, no problem. Keep going. Keep going. We all have dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you make a to-do list. You you find one thing and you be consistent with it. My entire advice is consistency. So I know from um, the experience of myself and the experience of others that inability to get out of bed is not just a tick mark on the checklist. It is huge. It is massive. It feels like the biggest battle to have in the morning. So even if you just decide that I'm going to take 15 minutes to procrastinate getting out of bed, and then I will get out of bed. It's a, I think consistency is the singular most important thing. You show up for yourself and you decide that this is, you're worth fighting for, essentially. I like that. And uh, that's, a, that's exactly right. And so sometimes when someone is so depressed, just getting out of bed is a major step in their day. And, and because so often when someone is depressed, they want to just stay in bed and pull the covers over their head and just not get up and face the day. And, and uh, what, what you had mentioned, you know, just look at the little things in your day and they may seem like they're huge, but try to do one thing at a time and be consistent, be willing, and really try to work on you know what? I'm going to do this today. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to clean the house. Those little things add up and they may one thing, two things, three things may not take away how you feel, but it's going to give you a sense of accomplishment. And that is that that's huge for someone who's really struggling with, with depression. And I know you also work with people with grief. Who, who have gone through grief as well. And, uh, you know, whether they have lost a loved one or maybe it's a loss, maybe someone hasn't died, but it's a, still loss. It's a loss. a loss of a job or, or a loss of a relationship. So can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Grief um, counseling, most specifically, has a lot to do with hope building. Right, there is a certain loss. You, are, you could be anticipating that loss or you could have experienced that loss. It has, this, it has a similar amount of impact on your life. And then over time, losses 
seem to compound into three. So I could have lost. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. A friend in my childhood, I could have lost a pet in my adolescence. I could have, uh, you know, lost multiple opportunities or different things. And then there is one event which seems like a big loss, and then you grieve. You grieve for lost opportunities, time, different versions of yourself. Um, and a lot of this could have been, this should have been, what ifs. So. Um, it was a huge. It's a sometimes still a huge struggle as a therapist to know that hey, I'm not here to provide solutions or I'm not here to fix their life for them, but essentially sit with the person and tell them that the weight that you're carrying, I will hold on to it, and then I will give you hope in return. So it's it's almost like blowing a balloon. The initial bits are difficult, and then once you start blowing it, it it's much much easier to do it. So once you, and I feel like the most powerful experience of human interaction is hope. You carry back hope from a person. You carry back the sense of belonging, the sense of feeling seen, feeling heard. That's what you do in the space of loss. So that loss is replaced by hope, and that hope sort of becomes the buffer for resilience and helps you move forward. Yeah, I love that. Hope is so important, and without it, it's hard to move on. And when you feel like there is no hope, and maybe you've lost a loved one uh, or even a pet, I, I loved how you mentioned a pet loss because that's a very real thing. And we we grow attached to our pets, and when they die, it's like losing a loved one uh, of the f- member of the family. And and so being able to have that hope and listen to somebody else to um, just share that there's hope and, and share that there's, uh, yes, you have loss. You can't change that. You can't go back and change things. But what you can do is work on today. And mm-hmm. and then today becomes tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes the future. And you, you know, take it one day at a time. That's right. You take it one day at a time. And sometimes when, especially if that loss is very fresh, it's hard to hear that. It's because they're still grappling with the realization that someone that they love, it's, it's gone. And, yeah. and so they can't see tomorrow. All they can see is what they don't have. And they look back, I lost that. And now I don't have that person in my life. And so to be able to share that hope and and to be able to say you know you take it one day at a time and try not to do the i should have like you mentioned and the the what ifs and i should have done this and shouldn't have done that but you try to honor the person that you lost by living your life and moving on and that's one of the things that i tell people you want to you want to live on and, and and enjoy your day and, and have fun and laugh. It doesn't mean you're going to forget about that person. John, what happens is that your pieces of yourself are tied to different people, situations, opportunities. When that grief settles in, you're also constantly unaware of what to do with that part of yourself. So you're rebuilding that. You're 
finding new ways to sort of make peace with it. And I think that's where the self comes back in because you have to discover yourself and rediscover yourself. That's right. And that are not, a lot of times people are not in that state of mind to think about and yeah. have someone to be in present with them. And, and I always say there's power in presence and having mm -hmm. another person, that human to human uh, contact that therapy provides. And uh, I think that's excellent things that you mentioned there about helping someone with grief. And then there's one more that I really, one more category, if you will, that I would love to kind of get your feedback on. And, and that is self-acceptance. And sometimes we are so hard on ourselves. And we have that, what I call inner critic. And we start to focus on the things that we're not doing well. And we start to believe that we're a failure and we don't accept ourselves. And we look into the future, project into the future, and we have no future. And it's, it's easy to go down that rabbit trail. So tell us a little bit about uh, self-acceptance and what are some of the things that you help your clients with? I have a golden tool, which is that when we hear self-acceptance, we move towards what can I do for self-love? How can I accept myself? How can I love myself? How can I care for myself? All of that is thought. If, if we go back to school and we look at the number line, we're trying to reach plus one where we're in minus one, we're criticizing ourselves, like you said, we're talking negatively, we're analyzing and hashing out every single thing that we've done, magnifying the flaws, so to speak. You want to go from minus one to plus one, doesn't seem real. You go from minus one to zero, which is being neutral about yourself, being um, able to give yourself respect to say, okay, I screwed up, I made a mistake, and that's okay. Neither am I going to tell myself that, oh my God, I'm, I'm absolutely rubbish at this. Nor am I going to tell myself, oh my God, no problem. I love myself for it. There is another. You start with neutrality. You start with putting yourself at a zero. Um, once you're comfortable with the idea of zero, you bring in compassion. You bring in accountability. You bring in factors of um essentially making essentially doing a SWOT analysis these are my strengths these are my weaknesses these are the opportunities that I have and these are the threats or the sort of barriers that are in my way but all of it starts from bringing yourself to a neutral space minus one plus one but a zero you have to come to a zero everything else in life gets built on zero come from the land of the discovery of zero, I think I can safely say that the assumption <laughs> is zero starts. Everything starts there. I like that. It, Neutrality it's... is so important. Even in, I think, sorry, I'm cutting you short there, but body okay. image. We try to go from, oh my God, I don't like how I'm looking, to hi, tell yourself 10 things that you like about your body. But I don't like it. And I don't want to have to fight against myself. Because, what are we doing as therapists? We're saying don't fight against your negative voice and then also fight against yourself for discovering a positive voice. You're still fighting against yourself. The idea is in the larger picture to stop fighting with yourself and just being okay with where you are. And I like that because it's it's not it's not like a, a 
going a pendulum swing, right? You go from hating yourself to all the way over yeah. here and I'm the best person ever, but yeah. it's, it's in the middle. It's that neutrality. And I yeah. like your analogy of the negative one to zero. And then that's not a big step. And, and even just little steps at a time when it comes to accepting who you are and whether it's how you look or whether it's your intelligence, maybe you don't like your intelligence or your social status, whatever it is that you don't like about yourself, start slow, start little and, and try to focus on some of the things that, that are okay. You know, right. So you might like some things focus on that rather than yeah. focus just on the negative. And I like that. That's good. That's a good analogy. Well, Arushi, what are some things we're, we're getting close to the end here of, a, of the episode? Tell us what are if you had some parting words that you can share with my audience um, and what would be some encouraging things that maybe somebody is trying to decide whether or not they should go to therapy or maybe it's uh, a parent who has a child that's struggling or maybe someone just lost a loved one or went through a divorce. What what are some some encouraging things that you can leave with my audience? I feel like I should have been prepared for this one, but I am caught off guard. I don't know if this is encouraging, but I believe that we all have our lions and tigers, things that we are afraid of. And there's no need to trivialize your lions and tigers. They are your lions and tigers. They are your fears. They're big in your head. They're valid for you. If I am scared of a dog, it doesn't matter if the dog is a chihuahua or if it's a bull. I'm scared regardless. That's what happens in life. There are situations you're scared for, situations you're scared about, people you're worrying, things that are occupying space in your head. And you do that thing where you're like, this should not occupy space in my head. You're trivializing your lions and tigers. It's occupying space. It's good enough to go and have a conversation. Therapy is not addictive. We don't hold you prisoner and say, come, we're going to have conversations for years. That's done and over with. You can have two conversations and then you always have agency. So have a conversation. See if it works out for you. Um, see if you find that, that simple soothing in the power of company and power of presence, like you said. I always think it's worth a shot. It's life-changing. It's worth a shot. I like that. Beautifully yes. said. Uh, you, you said you didn't, you sorry. weren't prepared, but it, you'd said that very beautifully. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I love, I love, love what you mentioned about the lions and tigers. You know, what's your lions yeah. and tigers and bears, right? So yeah. lions yeah. and tigers yeah. and bears. And it's the fear. It's whether it's a fear of loss or a fear of dogs or a phobia, anxiety, fear of people, whatever it is that you're afraid of. There are people who are trained. There are people who are very empathetic and very compassionate. And that's a therapist. And so you, you combine the training that we receive, and we receive a lot of training, and you combine with the compassion that us therapists have, that's a perfect combination 
and you're not going to be judged for your whatever your lions, tigers, and bears are. You're not going to be judged, and you're going to have someone come alongside you and encourage you. And wouldn't it wouldn't it be pretty amazing if you were on the uh, other side of this and maybe then whatever you're struggling with, you're able to help someone else. And that's a joy for me as a therapist to see that in my clients. My therapist always says no judgment in feelings. So if I act in an absolutely crazy manner, he will call me out on it, but no judgment in feelings. And it constantly feels like having a cheerleader for you on the sidelines, always, always being there for you. I like that. Yes. Yeah. No judgment. Uh, however, if uh, one of the things I tell my clients too, if you say something really b- uh, bad about yourself, I may challenge you on it a little bit, but there's no judgment. <laughs> Aroshi, um, one of the things I like to ask my guests at the end here is about self care. And you and I talk about it all the time, right? And we <laughs> encourage that. But what are yeah. some things that you do for your self-care? I draw boundaries. I'm learning to draw boundaries. So I have hours which are just away from my phone. I spend um, a lot of time chit-chatting nonsense with the people around me. I make sure to go out and indulge in a lot of art experiences. I can't draw or sing or dance or do any artistic thing to save my life, but I like watching people do that. It feels very, very liberating. Um, I sleep, and I think I'm very aware of the places in my house where I allow myself to break down, whether it's under my blanket or in my bathroom. These are the two places that I have identified. And that is that is a very important thing that I do for myself, care, knowing that it's okay to break down and giving myself permission to do that under regular. Um, yeah. Important. Well, I, I really loved that you mentioned that because that is one thing that I think people need to realize that therapists are people too. We're humans with yeah. real human emotions and with, we actually have hurt and pain in our lives as well. <laughs> And it's okay for a therapist to be sad and break down, yeah, right? Yeah, it's okay yeah, for yeah. a therapist to see another therapist. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's important for everyone to realize that when you go in to see a therapist, they're not perfect. And, and no, no, they won't claim to be perfect either. And yet they are the human, I mentioned that before, the human-human connection and compassion. That's what you're going to get when you go into a therapy session. So, well, Roshi, thank you so much. I don't want to keep you on too much longer. Uh, I was great to hear your dog chime in a little bit there too, a little bit ago. And, um, but I appreciate you coming on. I know it's um, late uh, at night for you right now in India, but I really do appreciate coming on. And for all of you who are listening or watching into this, I appreciate you too. If you're new, welcome and be sure to follow the mental health today show and if you've been listening for a long time i really appreciate you and and you know that i really want to encourage you to continue working on your mental health that is priority number one you're going to be able to help other people and help yourself as well if you can really work on your mental health 
Well, my friends, thank you so much for being a part of this show. And you are why I, the reason why I do this show. I appreciate you very much. And until next time, take care of yourself. And thanks for watching or listening to the Mental Health Today show. Thank you.